Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Hlaud, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. Hey there, and thanks for tuning in. This week's sermon is preached by Pastor Kim Peterson, and it's all about temptations of ambition. I hope that it speaks to your life and that you get something out of this week's message. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and God's beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Raise your hand if you have heard about the recent college admissions scandal. I think that's most of you. If you're still listening to the news, you've no doubt heard about it. Just as a refresher, this is an incident where over 50 different individuals have been implicated in helping students to get into particular universities through illegal and immoral means. So for example, paying to have test scores falsified, um, paying coaches, paying their teams to say that they're desired players when really they don't even play these sports, uh, paying people to write essays for admission on the child's behalf, and so forth and so on. And it's shocking to us, and two weeks later it's still on the news. But I think if we were to think about it, most of us, had we been asked before that made national headlines, does that kind of thing on occasion happen? I think most of us would have said, yeah, sometimes I bet that does. So I think what stands out in this case is simply the scope right, of this situation. The fact that we've got over 50s, 50 individuals involved, we've got major universities across the country, and we've got an expenditure of over $6.5 million to get less than 50 students into a particular college. And just to put that in perspective, here at Prince of Peace, we support an organization called HELP, the Haitian Education and Leadership Program, and HELP pays for the college tuition and the room and board and for tutoring if necessary and for English classes and for technological support. It pays for everything top Haitian students need to go to college for a year. $6.5 million would pay for 722 years worth of participation in the HELP program. And it's easy to sit back and to finger wag, right, because these families have clearly made choices that are immoral and unethical. But if you've had a student in your life, whether that's a child or a grandchild or just someone you know, that's tried to get into college in the last couple of years, you might have at least some sympathy for the pressure that they feel, right? Because what we're seeing is simply an egregious and illegal example of a system that our children are living in. It's a system where students in high school are signed up at any given time for three or four or five AP classes, not because they really want to take AP poli-sci, but because they know that by taking those classes, it'll improve their weighted GPA more than taking band or strings or something that they really are passionate about. Unless we say this is a high school problem, we've got middle schoolers who are doing test prep for what is called the SSAT, which is the pre-pre 
SAT. Unless we say this is a middle school problem, we've got elementary school kids who have private batting coaches because parents know, not that they love the game, but parents know that if you don't start training that muscle memory early, it becomes difficult for them to play college ball unless we think this is an elementary school problem. If you've ever tried to get your child into a preschool at the last minute, you know how long the waiting lists can go out for schools that are reputed to really get their children into the right kindergarten, the right private school, and so forth and so on. And if you're a parent sitting there going, wow, I never thought my pastor would be chastising me for wanting my kids to take AP classes, <laughs> don't worry, I'm about to exonerate you. Because often our children and our families become what I would call symptom bearers, right? The same way that a kid comes into a classroom or comes into our youth group and our youth director, Mary Ellen, notices that they're lashing out at the person next to them in a way they normally wouldn't, and she doesn't probably think it's something with them, but she wonders what's going on in their lives. They are bearing the symptoms of whatever stress they carry, right? And so our children and our families are bearing the symptoms of something that is rampant in our society, which is a focus on ambition and achievement as the thing to outshine all other things. And this has real effects for our kids. Seventy percent of our high schoolers in a recent Pew survey reported that depression and anxiety were major problems amongst their peers, an additional 26% said that it was a minor problem. So if you're doing the math, 96% of our high schoolers are reporting stress and anxiety, depression as major problems, or as problems. Another survey showed that two-thirds of our college students, this is from 2016, self-reported feeling, quote, overwhelming anxiety. And so our families are suffering from something that I don't think is necessarily the fault of the parents. And the reason I, I want to exonerate you is that the school I taught at, we surveyed about 700 of our kids. And truthfully, as teachers, we asked them where the pressure to succeed came from, and we thought they'd say the parents. And we learned later that the parents thought they'd say the teachers. And we were all up in arms ready to go at each other, only to find out that a few people said one or the other, but the majority of students said that the pressure to succeed came from within, or it came from somewhere that they couldn't name. And I suspect that's because they are picking up on something that is in the water of our culture, which is that we live in a world that equates achievement with identity, that equates achievement with our value. And we don't just see this in our children, although they may be in some cases the canary in the coal mine, but we see it right in the person that works hard for their family and works 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 hours a week to get that raise and get that promotion. And we see it in the mom or the dad that finds themselves up at 2 a.m. the night before their two-year-old's birthday party putting the final details on the smash cake for a child who truthfully just wants a popsicle and a cardboard box. 
right? We see this in our, our desire to have our lives be Pinterest perfect. We see this even sometimes if you're retired in your volunteerism. It's good to volunteer. As a representative of Prince of Peace, we absolutely encourage you to volunteer. It's part of what we do to show God's love to a hurting world. But sometimes we can take it so far that we start to define who we are based on our ability to say yes. And when we do that, the world rewards us. And that's what's so hard about sins of ambition, is that as we engage in them, the student that works super hard does get into a good college, but their emotional health suffers along the way. The person who works 70, 80 hours a week for continuous weeks often does get the raise, even as their marriage falls apart. And the Pinterest perfect party maker does get the accolades from friends and family, even as they collapse from exhaustion the next day with an overstimulated and tired child. And so if it's in our culture and if it's self-rewarding, what do we do about it, right? How do we prevent our, our children from experiencing this? And how do we maintain our own sense of identity? How do we maintain our own sense of value without getting fixated on what we do? And there's a couple of answers to that. But the first one is I would challenge each of you to look at your faith to look at your faith, and to look at the scriptures. Thankfully, we've got this entire book full of good information that will help us figure out how to handle life's challenges and how to find out when our ambition has gone too far, right? Because ambition by itself, achievement by itself, isn't a bad thing. There may be some of you that are sitting there going, wow, she's talking about all these over-ambitious kids, and I just want my kid to get off the couch and stop playing Fortnite all the time. Right? And I hear you because that's the issue with these sins, right? Last week we focused on sins of appetite. Well, you need an appetite to survive. Appetite's not inherently a bad thing. Achievement isn't inherently a bad thing. But when it goes too far, that's when we get into trouble. And so what do we do? We look at our scriptures. So in the gospel today, Jesus has gone out into the wilderness. He's been tempted by the devil to turn that rock into stone. And in today's focus... The devil presents to him all of the kingdoms of the world and says, this power and this authority can all be yours if you will but worship me. And when I've read this in the past, to be totally honest, I've thought it was kind of a lousy temptation because Jesus doesn't really show us throughout his life that he's particularly interested in like the creature comforts that would come with being king. He doesn't seem to even take advantage of like the ways he could, could be comfortable as a Galilean peasant, right? Like he's always roaming around. He doesn't have a place to lay his head. So I've wondered about this temptation, but I think it comes down to this. In the same way that often achievement is a good thing, and so we can be tempted to take it too far, I think that for Jesus, there were a lot of things that could have been good about being king. If Jesus had taken a kingship, kings have all the power, they have all the authority, so yes, they get to recline on couches and have people feed them grapes, but Jesus as king could have solved all the problems of Israel. Jesus as king could have kicked out those nasty Romans, 
Jesus as king could have balanced out the economic systems. Jesus as king could have gathered together all the lepers in one place and healed them en masse instead of going around from village to village. It would have made things so much easier, and he would have had his disciples and the people of Israel cheering him on the way because that is exactly what they wanted the Messiah to do. And I can see where that would have been tempting, but the problem is that journey was not the journey of Christ. Because the journey of Christ instead was the harder road. It was the one full of potholes. It was the one, it looks like our road's out there actually, it's the one where pieces of it are falling off. It's the one that leads not only to betrayal, not only to grief, but ultimately to death on the cross. And so I get where Jesus would have been tempted, but in that moment, Jesus refers back to his sacred scriptures, the scriptures that his family taught him, and he says, it is written, I will worship God alone. Because the price of accepting that temptation, for all the good it might have done, was simply too high. The condition from the devil was if you will worship me. And I think that's a guideline that we all can use, right? When we're engaging in ambition, when it gets to the point where we have started to worship things other than God, when we worship the SAT score, when we worship the promotion, when we worship the Pinterest dessert bar, then we know that we have gone too far, and we can look at our scriptures and we can ground ourselves. So that's one way that we can help resist, help ourselves resist sins of temptation. But the other thing about this passage is if you look at the gospel, this passage, the whole bit about the temptation in the wilderness, occurs right after Jesus's baptism. And in Jesus's baptism, God the Father comes down like a dove and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. He doesn't say that after Jesus successfully resists the devil. He doesn't say that after Jesus turns the water into wine, which is when I would have said it. He doesn't say it after Jesus heals the sick, cures leprosy, casts out demons, or raises Lazarus from the dead. He says, you are my son with whom I am well pleased before Jesus does, has done anything at all that's worth writing down. Because Jesus' value, Jesus' identity stems not from Jesus' achievements, but because of who Christ is. Because he has been named and claimed as the child of God. And although we're not Jesus... Each of us has also been named and claimed in our baptism, and as a result, our identity stems not from what we accomplish, but from the fact that we too are beloved children. Remembering our identity, relying on the scriptures. Are these going to turn our world over, upside down, overnight? Probably not. But we can each start to engage in those two practices in a way that helps each of us and helps our families to start to resist those sins of ambition when they come. And by doing so, 
we can start working towards a restoration of a broken world, and we can start working towards a world that moves on God's journey. And so if during this sermon I've said what God's journey is not, then the question might be, what is God's journey? And I think once again we can look back to scriptures, to our passage from Micah. And in our passage from Micah, there's the question asked, what do I need to do to get God's favor? Do I need to sacrifice a thousand rams or ten thousand rivers of oil? Do I need to give my firstborn? And the prophet replies this, what does God require of us? Only to do good, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. To do good, to love kindness, to walk humbly with our God. This, friends, is the journey that we are called to be on. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.